Hi everyone. Today we're reading Luke chapter 3 and the extended season of Epiphany. This week we mark Jesus' baptism and have a lot of questions about water and fire and spirit and Jesus and John. So I'm Alicia McClintic. And I'm Megan Pardue. And this is the A Plain Account Podcast. reading from the Common English Bible. This is Luke chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. 21 through 22 is the assigned lectionary, but I'm going to go ahead and read all of verses 15 through 22. Hear now the word of the Lord. The people were filled with expectation, and everyone wondered whether John might be the Christ. John replied to them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than me is coming. I'm not worthy to loosen the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The shovel he uses to sift the wheat from the husks is in his hands. He will clean out his threshing area and bring the wheat into his barn. But he will burn the husks with a fire that can't be put out. With many other words, John appealed to them, proclaiming good news to the people. But Herod, the ruler, had been criticized harshly by John because of Herodias, Herod's brother's wife, and because of all the evil he had done. He added this to the list of evil deeds. He locked John up prison. When everyone was being baptized, Jesus also was baptized. While he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit came down on him in bodily form like a dove. And there was a voice from heaven, you are my son whom I dearly love. In you, I find happiness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to to God. God. man, this is one of those other passages that comes up frequently in the life of our faith together, right? That we frequently throughout the calendar year, throughout the liturgical year, return to the baptism of Jesus. Uh, We have spent some time in Advent with John and the ministry of baptism and preaching, which he's done before. And so um, I must confess to our listeners that sometimes I get a little bit eye-rolly. And I think, John, again, more baptism. <laughs> like, like, what else is there to say about this? Um, so, confession. But uh, at the same time, each, t- each time I pick up this text and turn it over, there's a new facet that glimmers up at me. And as Megan and I were preparing for this text, it just felt like, oh, yes, the Spirit is speaking yet again in some new ways. How about you, Megan? How do you feel about some of the familiar texts and kind of coming back to them? Yeah, I similarly was like, I kind of want to stay in Christmas a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But here we are uh, now in the second Sunday of Epiphany. So I think one of the one of the new facets or a different um, 
approach or a different thing to notice this time around is what happens in verses 18 through 20, which is actually left out of the lectionary. It doesn't add that much, adds another three verses. And it's also not quite as clear why they cut it out. Like sometimes when you're looking at the lectionary and it cuts out a section, you're like, oh, you really (laughs) didn't want to preach on that, did you? Um, (laughs) You felt like this was an easier read without those five verses. Here, I mean, not, not quite so much. Maybe the lectionary creators just found this less interesting than the baptism of of Jesus, but I'm really actually interested in these three verses, 18 through 20, because they're really emphasizing the role of Herod and the ruler, like as ruler, it's it's not like Herod the dude, it's Herod the ruler, um, right. who had been criticized harshly by John because of Herodias, Herod's brother's wife. So, and but let's not just like put the blame on her and because of all the evil he had done. Mm-hmm. And if you have, if you remember last week's episode, uh, the first Sunday of Epiphany, the reading from Matthew 2, which includes, of course, the slaughter of the innocents, which is at the hands of Herod. Yeah. So this is like decades of evil being done, not just like one bad four years in office, decades. Right. Yeah. Decades of a evil despot. So much so that remember from our Epiphany text last week that when Herod is troubled or anxious, the entire city is troubled with him because you know it's going to be dangerous. You know there's going to be bloodshed. You know it's going to be devastating for the community when this guy gets worked up. And John has him worked up, right? Right. So much so that he, it tells us in verse 20, he being Herod, locks John up in prison. So I think those verses just are offering to me a really important contextual reminder of how serious the work that John is doing really is and how upsetting it is to Herod and to the powers of principalities. Um, you know, again, looking earlier in chapter three, you I would encourage listeners to really see, okay, what are the other things that John's been saying, you know, you remember from Advent, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the ways Mm -hmm. of the Lord. Um, But I mean, there's this justice seeking imagery that we talked about uh, in a previous episode, every valley filled, every mountain and hell made low, the crooked shall be made straight. So really, I mean, there's a whole lot here that seems to be referencing back to Herod And not just Herod as an individual, but Herod in the office that he holds in the government. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think also maybe this is helpful to to keep braiding these threads together with some of our earlier Advent passages, right? When John is preaching to the people, he's very particularly talking about Herod's regime in a lot of ways. The people who come to him are the general crowd, but then the named professions are soldiers and tax collectors who would have been looped up up into the machine of Herod's rule, right? That right. are where they're being asked to do very particular things from this evil regime, um, and and uh, and the evil things they're being asked to do are harassing people unnecessarily and are uh, um, extorting them with 
higher taxes than they can ever afford to pay, right? And so John's call to repentance is for some very particular people to step out of very particular systems. And this is this is where the scripture has been leading us the whole time. And I it, it does feel like it's important to name some of those things when we talk about Jesus's baptism and the beginning of his public ministry at a concrete place and time, like at a very particular moment. Um, and those are some of the questions that I have when I come to this text. Like, why now? Why here? <laughs> Jesus right. is nearing 30, as the scripture tells us. Luke chapter 3, verse 23, like right after the ending of this pericope, it, it mentions Jesus is about 30 years old. And the last vignette in Jesus's life that we had right before this, Jesus is 12. So that's like 18 years of quiet obscurity where we don't see a lot of Jesus or like what's happening. So why here? Why now? What what kind of triggers Jesus into this moment? And I think it has to be John and John's very particular preaching at this particular moment, right? Which all, again, circles back to Herod and this this very specific regime. And I think after um, Jesus has uh, has seen his cousin, who's practically his peer, right? right As we right. understand the timeline and crunch the numbers, they're only a, a few months apart, less than a year, right? They would be what? Like the same graduating class, the same year at school. Yes, right. Absolutely. <laughs> um, they're they're more, more or less brothers in this kind of – yeah – in this space, in this work. And yet it's John who has the really early ministry, a really powerful platform that's drawing crowds and crowds of people, so much so that he's gaining the attention of King Herod and gets in so much trouble, he's arrested and executed in prison, right? And this this is who um, I think it's maybe the catalyst for Jesus's own public ministry. And again, I think we we root that back in our scriptural understanding of uh, prepare the way for the Lord. We understand right, John is right. like the front runner, the forerunner, the one who has like made straight paths for Jesus. Um, and I think in very particular ways, John is doing that here at the Jordan in this moment of baptism. One of the really interesting things about the relationship between Jesus and John is that John has gone before Jesus and that John's platform and his moments of preaching are um, are so compelling. They're drawing so many crowds. They're gaining so much um uh, unwanted attention as well from Herod. And right, I can right. imagine that Jesus spends time listening and learning from John, which is a really interesting posture as Jesus receives John's baptism and submits to the ministry of somebody else who is very much his peer in this space. And yet John doesn't think about Jesus as a peer in the same way. Um, and the people from the outside are asking John if John is the Messiah, if John is the one that they've waited for, if John is the like is the Messiah, the Christ, the promised one, the one who's going to put everything right. And John very clearly does not consider himself in, the, in that light. Um, it just is this really interesting way to shift some perspectives, right? So from the outside looking in, John is the more powerful preacher, has the bigger platform, has the wider influence, has um, more experience, et cetera, et cetera. Looks the part of the prophet everybody's been waiting for. Right. Um, and Jesus is 
younger has like just spent, I mean, 18 ish years in quiet obscurity, learning a trade, like being, um, uh, yeah, quiet in the background for a long time until the moment when it is the moment. Right. Yeah. There seems to be lacking like a, what I might think of as like a contemporary, like competition, between the right. two of them. It's really not there. It's not. John is really like this, you know, I am here to prepare the way and you all need to also be preparing the way. <laughs> and here he is. He's coming. I will baptize you with water, but the one who is more powerful than me is coming. I'm not worthy to loosen the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Yes. So I'm, I mean, I am with you. I'm impressed at this kind of lack of competition and this willingness to like be in the work together and, and further the being in the work together is, is both remark is remarkable on both parties, right? Because John Mm -hmm. obviously is willing to speak truth to power, which will get him in trouble and thrown in jail and then later executed. (laughs) But Jesus will, of course, take the exact same road. (laughs) So also Jesus enters into the work having, you know, seen what happened to his cousin, a person whom he deeply loved, um, and, and continues with living his life, his ministry, speaking truth to power anyway. Yes. Yeah. I, I really find their relationship so compelling, so devoid of that competition and so clear about, um, about necessary roles that support each other. And right. I find that really beautiful um, that, that they seem to understand that they each have, have a really crucial part to play in this dance almost, right? It's, it's this like, like John's ministry is a setting sun while Jesus is rising. Um, and or this like passing of the torch or of the baton, right? To use some other images. Um yeah, without without any value judgment on one or the other, other than that we know Jesus is the Messiah and John is not. Well, and is that not a word for for pastors? <laughs> you know, I'm not suggesting yes. that you put this in your sermon, but maybe a word for those of us who lead congregations and find ourselves um, playing this comparison dance uh, mm-hmm. with other churches, other clergy, um, other ministries, like the image of the setting sun and like or the passing of the torch. I mean, it's it could be really beautiful. And, and my mentor has said to me, you know, sometimes your congregation is the is like the church for a a family or a person for a particular season. Yeah. And I mean, this, you know, we can't be all things to all people. So just releasing some of that for anyone who needs to hear it. Like we're doing this work jointly. We're in this work together. It's God's kingdom. It's God's church, not mine, yes. not my agenda. So I, it's so much easier said than done, but just right. A reminder for all of us that like the, the posture John takes one of, preparing the way for what's next is one of such faith in the work yes. that the, the work that Jesus is going to do, but the work that God is already doing. And he seems to step out of it um, without a giant uh, narcissistic pity party, <laughs> right? <laughs> which is unfortunately some of the ways that some people seem to leave ministry. 
Yeah. And well, and I think this is not just a word for pastors, but a word for like our congregations as well. I'm fine. I'm finding myself in an interesting position as a young pastor and my congregation is all like on the cusp of retirement if they're not already retired. Right. Mm. Um, so my congregation, um, just like in their age demographics are all in like, not all, but mostly like in their later middle age or toward their twilight years. And, okay. and so, so how, how do I preach to them about what it means to leave a legacy, what it means to prepare for the next generation, what it means to release this congregation that this church that they've built with their blood, sweat and tears and the faithful tithes of widows, right? Like, like how do I help shepherd them into this place of, of le- leaving well, of like mm. leaving a legacy of not, I mean, not just like in, in the work of our congregational life, but in their actual work and like in their actual like professional vocational careers. Like how do right, I preach right. to them about faithfully navigating through a retirement season? Um, and I, and I think John has a word for us there. I think like John the Baptist offers a really beautiful scriptural example. And there are others too, right. That come, that come to my mind here. Um, folks like uh, John who recalls Elijah and Elisha, right. Like kind of raising somebody right, up right. or, or you think about Moses and Joshua. Are there like other ways that the scripture kind of points to this, um, this twilight, this setting sun, that like ending of something, and graciously and generously passing it off to whoever is coming next. Um, and yeah, I thought I, I am I am really grateful that the that the Spirit in infinite wisdom offers scriptures that I can pull from when I can't speak from my own personal experience, right? right? As a young pastor, pastoring a congregation that has so much more life experience than me, but finding ways to let the scriptures really speak to exactly where they are, um, I think is, is powerful preaching. I love that. Okay, we can't not talk about this like baptism by fire this like sifting and purging and <laughs> husks getting burned up and all of that sort of stuff <laughs> i mean people do use this expression right baptism by fire like talking mm-hmm. about getting thrown in the deep end at work or good night i mean i you know i'm married to a healthcare professional i mean much of covid you know i've heard people say it's like it's yeah it's baptizing by f- baptism by fire like it's it's intense and i hadn't noticed before alicia the connection here that we actually have fire mentioned just in back to back verses so in 16 he will baptize mm-hmm. you he being jesus he will baptize you with the holy spirit and fire and then 17 we get this um kind of agrarian imagery. The shovel he uses to shift the wheat from the husks is in his hands. He will clean out the threshing area and bring the wheat into his barn. He will burn the husks with a fire that can't be put out. I mean, what do you make of this twofold? Uh, the I mean, it seems like it's a good thing that the Holy Spirit's going to, yeah. ba- you know, that you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. But it and, also and feels really scary. <laughs> the threshing, right, right, right. Well, especially when uh, back to back with the kind of threshing area burning of husks. 
It sure. is a little scary. What do you what do you make of this fire? And is it a place that you would go in your preaching? Oh, I mean, I I do generally well. I was about to say I generally avoid some of that stuff, but you're talking to the preacher who uh, preached through the plagues <laughs> last fall. So there, so there was that, um, <laughs> which is like one of those things that the lectionary cuts out. That like week by week. Um, well, I preached through the whole book of Exodus, uh, okay. kind of lectionary inspired by the Old Testament lections that moved through Exodus, but the lectionary, of course, slice slices out the plagues, <laughs> um, right. But uh, anyway, so um, I thought you meant week by week. You were like, <laughs> like and now Sunday know, of gnats, the, and then the I Sunday know. of the frogs. You know, right, right. I guess all like all of that to say that I've been on a journey of learning to embrace these difficult images, to not apologize for them, um, but to treat the scripture seriously and to see what is the good news, because the scripture is always good news, right? If, if that's what we believe, if that's our foundation, if the scripture is always good news and it's frequently good news for the poor, the lonely, the hurting, the hungry, the sick, right? If that's what the scripture is, then how do these images fit into that? Um, and I think here within the context, right, we're talking about baptism. We're talking about forgiveness of sins. That's the way the baptism is used here in in. John's ministry, um, then the the church's traditional discussion about baptism is about identifying with the death and resurrection of Christ, right? Being buried in the waters of baptism and being raised up to new life in Christ. Um, in this context, as John talks about baptism and fire and purging and burning up of husks, it's this it's this cleansing fire, right? It's this purifying fire. It's mm-hmm. the it's the clearing out of the of the of what is dead and rotten and unfruitful and unhealthy, right? That's um it's yeah, it's cleansing, it's purging, it's refining and then like up from the ashes rises new life, right? Um, What do you think about that? How does that sit with you? Well, it just strikes me that some of the reasons that you perhaps or I might resist some of this like fire (laughs) preaching is because of the ways that it's been so problematically used. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. We literally talk about fire and brimstone preaching as something that often, you know, scares people into salvation. Um, but, but if this is a redeeming fire and a purifying fire, I think interpreting it that way in light of 18 through 20, which we're encouraging listeners to keep offers us this system level understanding of what's going on and which has already come up earlier in chapter three, what from this question from Advent, what then should we do? Right. What then exactly. should we do? And it's like, well, you need to uh, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, um, don't take more money than is prescribed to you. So understanding some of this fire imagery as um, <laughs> connected to the, the burning down or the pulling down of those in power, the systems that are keeping people captive and oppressed that kind of fire, like, oh, wait, that's a purifying fire. Like, I want to be all about that. It's yeah. not about the individual, right? Yes. This isn't about the individual. This is about systems 
This is about people's, yes, individual lives that are captive um, and stuck and oppressed and push, put down um, because of the power that's held here. I mean, again, Herod the ruler had been criticized harshly by John because of all the evil he had done. Yep. So, I mean, if it's a fire that's going <laughs> to that's gonna purify you know, this system, this, this government, like that is some good news. Yes. Yes. That, that the powers and principalities, these forces of oppression, um, this, uh, this evil is all of those systems are going to be burnt to the ground. Right. And Jesus uses some of this imagery in his own preaching later on in his ministry when he talks about um, temples being brought down and 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 there's there's a, a long there's a long through line that we can knit together here. Um, I th- but then I just think the deeper we are rooted in John's particular ministry and what John is actually preaching and to whom he's speaking and what he's addressing when he talks for uh, when he talks about repentance when he calls for repentance it's pulling people out of the systems of empire where they're enmeshed or entrapped or oppressed right and um and 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 moving toward this space of refinement. Absolutely. Moving towards refinement, moving towards purification, not as individuals, but in light of in light of the whole. Exactly. And that repentance has consequences. That if if your mind has been changed, if your heart has been changed, if your life has been turned around, then there are things that we sh- that we should do, right? As we're as we're pulled out of the system. Absolutely. There's things that are going to be burnt down. Things that are going to be burnt down. Well, this has been such an interesting conversation so far for a familiar text that I thought we would not have anything new to say about. But let's take a quick break and hear a short prayer for this baptism of the Lord. Stick around for our thoughts on preaching and applying the text after this intermission. Hear this prayer. God of grace and glory, you call us with your voice of flame to be your people, faithful and courageous. As your beloved son embraced his mission in the waters of baptism, Inspire us with the fire of your spirit to join in his transforming work. We ask this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. Okay, Alicia, now that we're back... Let's talk about how we might apply this text or some points that are landing for you. Maybe it's a sermon idea, a question you still have, something that you want to explore further. What do you have for us? Hmm. A couple of things. I think uh, two, two things in particular. One is that I think we can really incorporate theological preaching and teaching about 
the sacraments and our life together in the church, just the you know, basics of what we believe. And preaching about baptism is a great place to start, right? That the lectionary has offered this opportunity to share what do we believe baptism is? What do we believe it is for? Um, How do we participate in that sacrament? Um, So if you're looking for ways to include uh, some specific theology or teaching about our statement of faith or the practice of our particular church, this is a great window into that practice. Um, I, yeah, I just think that there are so many folks in our pews who don't hear a ton of that kind of teaching on the regular. And this is one of the ways I think preachers can really lean into like concrete specific teaching moments to let the scripture open up a window to teach about the sacraments, about our practices, about, yeah, just about baptism. I think that would be a great opportunity. Right. And and that I think that if you're not feeling especially excited about preaching Jesus' baptism again, <laughs> you know, that can be certainly a way that you can spend a lot of your time in the sermon. Um, and we don't want the only time that we preach and teach about baptism to be on a Sunday when people are getting baptized. Now, this is a Sunday right. that in many liturgical contexts, it is a Sunday of baptism. Um, this is a a common Sunday where folks are baptized, but if it's not a Sunday where there's, or even if it is, I suppose it doesn't matter, but a good, a good opportunity to do some of that teaching, teaching work, um, when the scripture comes up in the lectionary each year. And yeah, I think, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I just and and this is a time to really like lean into um a moment where we all remember our baptism, right? Where we remember that we have um have been rescued, redeemed, where we have uh where we have in common the waters of baptism, right? That have raised us into new life with Christ, where we have embraced uh this call of discipleship, right? I think that's a a great opportunity to remind people um, of those decisions, about those convictions, about our identity as we belong to the family of God. Um, Even if you aren't uh, presiding or officiating over baptisms on the regular, like a chance to remember our own baptism is really important. Well, and remembering what it is that we're called into. Um, Yes. Here... I mean, the work that we're called into, whoo, okay, Jesus has got a shovel in his hand and there's the fire piece we already talked about. I mean, there's really, um, this is a really kind of radical life that certainly that John leads, that Jesus will lead the, you know, their lives, um, both of them end up killed for, you know, the people that they share tables with and the tables that they turn over. And so, yes. you know, um, you had pointed out in our prep time, Alicia, just the the ways in which our, our baptismal theology can sometimes emphasize the death and resurrection of Christ, like we're baptized mm-hmm. into Christ's death and, and raised to new life. And, and, and also leave out that that new life we're raised to is the life of Jesus' ministry, right? The life yes. of discipleship, the life of living like he lived now. Exactly. So, and and that has a lot of, you know, living in that way, like there's costs. And, and maybe to kind of jump back to some of our earlier conversation around fire and purification, like 
letting, you know, it might require that I let some things go, right? Mm -hmm. Some things are going to, um, some things are going to need to go for me to live kind of that life of discipleship. And so yeah, I can't, purging, purifying, all of it's there. Yeah, I can't hold on to the husks and yeah, and follow right. Jesus faithfully, that the, that this is the work of being, being baptized by fire. And um, okay, so when we're reading these passages, I just feel this great sense of dramatic irony. Like I know what's going to happen to John and Jesus, and it's hard for me to stay really present in the moment of Jesus's baptism because I know that both of these two men and many, many of the folks who follow them will end up dead um, because of this very right. particular way that they're called to walk. So I have a very clear and present sense of the cost of discipleship. Um, that's like very, very uh, salient for me when I'm reading these passages. But I've been challenged to remember also this element of joy. Um, that's something that came up really recently recently for me with uh, my spiritual director. And and to hear this message from the Lord, like the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, and to hear this message, this is my child, the one who I love, with whom I'm well pleased. I like that the CEB says, in you, I find happiness. I delight yeah. in you, right? right? And so that as we embrace this costly devastating, really difficult way of discipleship, we are also finding it the way of life and of peace and of joy, of happiness, of delight, right? And and I think I, that's at least something where I'm challenged to really like lean in more, right? Lean in more into that, that joyful, celebratory, really sweet and pleasant space. That yeah. it is to belong to the family of God, to to know that we are the beloved children of God, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I have a couple of <laughs> thoughts swirling in my head, but one is um, there's likely many of our listeners who, and, and certainly this is the case in, in my context, uh, who practice infant baptism. And mm -hmm. it seems it seems to me a bit easier <laughs> to, uh, for whatever reason, right. I'm imagining, right. This like child washed in the water. Um, mm -hmm. it's so easy to, to look at this child, this like innocent baby or toddler or young child and say like, you are my child whom I dearly love and you, I find mm -hmm. happiness. And so mm -hmm. if we can, um, which I mean, just to, I baptize this, um, five-year-old last Easter. And as the water is pouring over his head, he's saying like, this is so silly, <laughs> <laughs> which is just like so much, you know, he's having this delight. You just kept saying over and over again, this is so silly. And it's like, it also is. It is. It is right? a little it bit. It is. Right? Like, but, but I mean, the really profoundly, like the thing that we are like baptizing you into is this, um, upside down way of being in the world, right? Of following Christ. Um, so yes. I love that you spoke about joy because if we could just transfer like some of that deep sense of belovedness or deep sense of happiness and joy that we so easily offer to children, mm -hmm. which what a contrast to, you know, uh, 
I mean, some of our other conversation in Christmas and even last week, Epiphany One, about the suffering of children. Like if we can uh, bridge some of that joy uh, that we Mm -hmm. so easily put on children into um, adults who are being baptized or, or bring about like the joy of emphasizing this life with Christ, this life living with Christ. Um, yes, it has a cost, but like the cost makes room for, right. The kind of, um, the kind of dancing in the streets joy. Yes. And like life with Jesus. Right. And, and that it is out of this overflowing well of joy that we participate in the costly work. Right, mm. that that rather than the other way around, right? Joy is not the reward for the like costly, difficult, heavy sacrifice, but out of the joy that is our life with God comes burning down of the powers and principalities, right? The, out of our joy that is life with the Lord comes this disentangling from all these other oppressive systems and living the life that God has called us to, that it is, that it is like that direction that our, that our, um, life with God flows. Um, I'm, I'm, I love this idea, this like picture of the joyfulness of children just like running around. This is so silly. (laughs) Um, it reminds me of a really favorite scene from a favorite novel, Gilead by Marilyn Robinson. I'll try to link to it in the show notes, but um, it's this scene of an elderly minister watching his young child and his best friend play in the sprinklers in the summer. And as this elderly minister is watching these children run around in the sprinklers, he himself is remembering the power and joy and beauty of baptism. And I guess I'm just wondering, like, like can can we have that vision in our regular life? Can we can we see these moments of of joy and silliness or or freedom and laughter and remember our own baptism into life with God? Yes. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> yes. Uh with intentionality, right? Right. Um right. Yeah, joy is something to right to foster, right? Yes. Yeah. It feels very fitting for the season of Epiphany, right? Where we're recognizing who Jesus is, what Jesus is about. It's this clear-eyed look at the cost of discipleship, but it's also this celebration of joy, which we're fostering on the way. Well, and uh, another kind of Epiphany theme is light and stars. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, this um, over the Christmas holiday, my kids went to a, a planetarium for the first time. You know, so magical as the, and, and I, I don't know that I had been to one since I was a child and like their experience was one of so much joy. And Mm. even to think about like the ability to like see the stars or to, um, take the time to search out the stars, like it, it fosters right in us, like a sense of joy and awe. Um, one of the final lines from the planetarium presentation was, um, you know, each of us are made of stardust. And my yes. son was like, oh, I didn't know that I was made of stardust. You know, he says this audibly like a little bit too loud, but it was just <laughs> so precious and so joy-filled. And so um, I love this kind of invitation and and it really, you know, makes for a, another kind of sermon. I mean, if joy is contagious as mm as we say it is, um, 
yeah, does, does joy burn like a fire? I don't know. I mean, is there, is there something to explore there? Um, even looking ahead yeah. to like the day of Pentecost, right? It's, it's confusion. Um, and then it's awe. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so powerful, Megan. What, what is burned up by the fires of joy? Right. And, and this takes me back to some of our like prophetic passages, right? That we've, that mourning gets turned into dancing, right? That, mm. that the, the sackcloth and ashes gets burned up in favor of wedding clothes, right? That, that, that's really powerful. Sorrow I'm going to think about that. for the night. Yeah. But, but joy, joy comes, comes in, the morning, in the morning, right? Yeah. So that, I mean, that seems really powerful. Again, I, there, there's just some more that I'm turning over with this idea of John and Jesus, but this sense that John's ministry is a setting sun while Jesus is a rising star at, at this moment in the story. And I'm wondering if this is one of the ways that John is able to do that work so graciously is that he's filled with the joy and the fire of the Lord, right? Of God's work in the world. And he's, he's filled with joy at the work that God is doing in Jesus. And so he can pass the baton without any sense of competition or, um, yeah, or envy or, or any of that, that, that because of this joy that God is making the world right and that the Messiah has come to us in Jesus out, 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 he can go, he can, he can leave, he can leave the platform. He can, he can, um, face the trouble that comes. Um, yeah, that it, that's fueled by, by joy in God's work. I'm wondering about that. I, I imagine this, you know, the the dove coming down. This is the line that got us kind of on this joy train was, you know, <laughs> yes. you are you are my son whom I dearly love and you I find happiness. I am I can imagine John just like saying like amen and amen. Yes. Yes. And saying like my yeah, the the joy of a job well done. Like, yeah. like I, like I have, I have been faithful. I've done the work. I've done the work. Yeah. And here we are. Here we are. Oh my gosh. Well, any parting thoughts or application questions? This this scripture has opened up significantly more than I thought that it would when we started this conversation. Well, a pleasant and joyful surprise. <laughs> Indeed. Well, if uh, there are no other parting thoughts, then that's all the time that we have for today. Um, I invite our listeners to check out the website for more written commentaries for the scriptures this week. Sign up for our newsletter to stay in the know and connect with us on social media for further conversation. We invite you all to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're really enjoying the show, leave us a review and share with your friends. That really helps get the word out. We offer a special thanks to all the writers who contributed this week and to Matt Goes for our original music, editing, and production. Thank you. Join us next week as we continue celebrating the Epiphany season and follow the ministry of Jesus. Mm-hmm.